Freelancing for Journalists is sponsored by The Tax Farm, the accountancy service dedicated to freelancers, the self-employed and small business owners. Imagine no more end-of-year panic or nasty tax surprises. The Tax Farm can't promise that they'll make you less busy, but they can promise to take away the grind of bookkeeping, freeing you up to do what you do best. With a simple fixed fee, they make hiring an accountant easy. They're also offering our listeners an exclusive 15% discount with the code FFJ15. You want to find out more? Then head to thetaxfarm.co.uk. And welcome to Freelancing for Journalists, the podcast that tells you everything you need to know about working for yourself. I'm Lily Cantor, a freelance money, health and lifestyle journalist. And I'm Emma Wilkinson, a freelance journalist specialising in health and medicine. This week, our topic is one that quite a few of you have asked us to get stuck into. But before we do that, we're just going to have a quick catch up. So Emma, how has your week been? Oh, well, I can say I'm glad it's the weekend. I feel, do you remember, Lily, back in October when I said to you um, that I was going to have a quiet November? Yes. Remember that? <laughs> not, not happened that way. I think this might have been the busiest I've ever been, ever, in my entire career. So I'm going to say I'm going to have a quiet December. Should we go for that instead? But anyway, I'm glad it's the weekend. It's been absolutely hectic. What about you? Yeah, I'm pretty much the same. I was planning a quiet November and it's all gone a bit mad. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess it's our own fault. We've been doing a lot of um, webinars. We've spoken at uh, University of Sunderland, a couple of um, careers talks at Sheffield Hallam. We've launched our work experience initiative. So that's been really great. We've got more than 50 journalists signed up now to offer work experience places to students and graduates on a remote basis and they're based all over the world so that's been really great but it's been a lot of work to get that off the ground um we've also got another webinar on how to find freelance work so busy with that and then um yeah i've got about seven commissions to get through this month as well so yeah i know i feel like i know i feel like when we list the freelancing for journalist stuff that that's actually a full-time job and then we forget that we've actually both got full-time freelancing and teaching jobs on top of that yeah we need staff deep breath it's okay it's the weekend it's fine so we have debriefed let's um get on to our topic this week which is something i actually know very little about so i'm really excited to learn a bit more um, and that's sports journalism yeah so I know a little bit in that I've written the odd piece about running um and netball I've done a bit on triathlon cyclings but it's all been stuff that I've kind of done myself rather than reporting on other people so it's going to be really interesting to find out how freelancing works in the world of sports journalism and I know it's something that a lot of our students and students and graduates are really keen to get into and find out more about so this is going to be a great opportunity to kind of find out from our fabulous guests just how freelancing works in the world of sports journalism 
So first of all, we've got Sam Ashu, and Sam actually was one of the very first um, students I ever taught at Sheffield Hallam. Um, way back, I think in 2010, 2010, 2011. Um, and Sam graduated um, with his degree in journalism in 2013. And after a year of freelancing, took on a full-time role as assistant producer for Liverpool FC's official channel, LCF TV, where he eventually moved to a presenter reporter role. Then Sam went freelance again last year, and he's been working regularly for Premier League Productions, Discovery, and BT Sport, amongst others, mainly as a reporter. So Sam, great to have you here. Hello, yes. Thanks for the intro, Lily. Um... It's good to be here. I know it was interesting hearing what you were saying about taking on something like freelance for journalists and being, you know, that's almost a full-time job in itself, which I guess for you guys, it just must be, uh, you must be up the wall trying to run that, trying to give back a little bit, but also do your, your own job, which as we know, freelancing is, is a pretty sort of busy, full-on thing. It's, it is all a bit hectic. It's all a bit hectic. Hi, Sam. And Sarah, we have Sarah Leach um, with us. Uh, and she uh, was, uh, she's a former professional netballer. Um, she's originally from Australia. Uh, she's now a freelance uh, sports journalist based in London. So she, um, while we're kind of working as a, while working, you work as a netballer? While <laughs> being a netballer, she was also teaching um, and wanted to find out more about sports journalists, ended up doing a degree in sports journalism. And that was about 10 years ago. And now she is a freelancer and has experience across digital, broadcast, print, lots of live sport, lots of things. I'm really interested to kind of hear about uh, more about that works, how that works and all the work that you've been doing on that, Sarah. It's nice to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, so as you know, I've, it sounds like I've got this big, huge mammoth CV, but that is what freelancing is really. You end up doing lots of different little jobs and you build your skills. So um, yeah, it's been an exciting and challenging career for me so far, but it's it's been very worthwhile and I am still going, I guess you could say. Yeah, well, great to have you both here. And we always start with our top tip of the week, but because Emma and I are not sports journalists, we're not gonna um, attempt to give our tips this time. Um, so we're going to go straight over to you. So Sam, what would be your one bit of advice for those wanting to get into sports journalism? Yeah, I think over the years when I've been asked that, the normal sort of generic go-to answer would be get as much experience as possible and start by getting as much work experience as possible. I think the problem at the moment, and maybe whether this is a problem or not, but going forward, certainly the difference now is, of course, we haven't mentioned yet which i'm sure will come up a few times obviously the pandemic and it's it's interesting because my biggest tip at this stage a in my career and the way that covid19 is going is is to be able to adapt i think we've all had to adapt ourselves within our working ways you guys are doing the podcast which has gone down brilliantly I've done more remote working myself. I'm sure Sarah will attest as well that she's had to do more remote working, whether it's remote presenting, presenting on Zoom and stuff like that. So I think my advice for, for young up and coming sports journalists would be get ready to adapt because things are changing like that. And if you can stay ahead of the game, then you put yourself in a brilliant position. It doesn't necessarily matter that you don't have 20 years experience behind you. 
if you know that you can change and, and I say again adapt to the current situation so right now it's actually not go out there and get work experience because I think that's incredibly hard to do at the best of times let alone at a point where people aren't going into an office and actually be a self-starter take the initiative and adapt where possible that's really good advice, Sam, and feeds into our journalism work experience initiative, which we'll talk about more where, you know, opportunities to do remote um, kind of work experience with freelancers. Um, Sarah, what's the one thing that you wish you had known before you started? Um, well, the one thing that I wish I knew was, um, I guess it, it's not necessarily a road. There's no real end point. I suppose if you're going to be a, a freelance journalist, it is, it's very much a hustle. So, um, you know, I, I tend to agree. You do need to go out there and get your work experience, get lots of runs on the board. Um, but I think the, the one thing that you do need to make sure that you absolutely do have is great attitude determination stamina and if you are if you want it bad enough you know you will get there and i think there's one thing that i didn't know that would happen at the very beginning is that and i suppose i had a netball career where you know i, I suppose you know you get selected in one team and it goes well you get into the next team and you know um and you can go on a winning run like that but then this career has been very challenging for me because when you first start out there's so many people in the world wanting to do what you do. It's a very popular industry and it's very rewarding too. But I guess what I didn't know is that, you know, it was going to be very competitive and you do get a whole lot of knockbacks. So you do have to learn how to cope with that adversity and know that if you do keep pursuing it and taking constructive criticism, learn as much as you can, um, build your knowledge skills. For example, if you want to get into football journalism, get to know the players, get to know the teams, get to know who the managers are, um, you know, find out who it is that you can look up to. Can you get yourself a mentor? Me personally, I, um, I was able to thankfully get myself a mentor and get my first story published in the Sydney Morning Herald in the newspaper and thankfully I had a couple of sports contacts so I was able to profile an athlete and do that and you know that was the most exciting day and when you do start to succeed or you get a little bit of success you know take take that on board so I, I suppose it's like a, a lot of things in life you're not necessarily going to succeed straight away or you're not going to become an on-camera reporter straight away there's no shortcuts there is definitely um, not necessarily a rite of passage, but you do have to build your experience and your confidence uh, to be able to get to where you'd like to go. So just don't don't you know don't don't feel overwhelmed or feel like it's not going to happen for you because it will do. But you just have to keep going, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, and that's very similar to any form of journalism, and particularly freelance journalism you've got to have that resilience and that determination one thing I wonder though Sam is you work more specifically in broadcast is how does that kind of work with the freelancing side of it I mean is it is it shift work or do you get brought in for a particular project or I mean how does that work yeah, I think it's a really good question. I think what I didn't realize when I wanted to originally go into, and I'll say sports media, I mean, I studied journalism, but I think 
sometimes there, there's a lot of people that want to go into sports journalism, but they don't necessarily know exactly what part of journalism or what part of media they want to do because there's, there are, in one sense, so many opportunities or at least so many different sort of variables that you can go with. I mean, if you go, if you take TV, for instance, I mean, this, this actually, you know, you could say this for radio as well, but if you take TV, you've got TV production, you've got everything that comes with that from, from video editing to, to broadcasting, to being on air, being talent or whatever you want to call it, anything like that. You've got assistant production, you've got everything that comes with all that, that for me, I've had opportunities to do a little bit of almost all those things. And that stemmed from a journalism degree. You could argue, is that actually sports journalism? Well, at times I'm being a reporter on air. So yeah, you are doing journalism, but then other times you might be cutting a feature or something. So I think that's what a lot of people don't maybe realize when they first want to go into the industry and they get almost a little bit or a little bit put off when they see that there aren't that many jobs in the industry. And you think, well, there is and there isn't. You know, there aren't loads of presenter jobs going. And if you search on LinkedIn presenter job, you'll barely see anything. And it goes back to what Sarah says as well about doing your due, your, speak, your due diligence in that sense. But at the same time, there are those opportunities once you're in. So I think going back to your original point about the difference between maybe written freelancing and, and broadcast freelancing would be that there are different shift works. You know, you can take, you can be a freelance producer. I've been a freelance assistant producer. We have freelance video editors working both at Liverpool football club where I used to work and at the premier league. Now there are a lot of freelancers there. It is difficult because it's very, very tough to go on a website. I know you guys have a website or, or work closely with a website that literally lists a lot of the freelance opportunities. I, I don't know the name of it properly. I'm sure you'll, you'll flag it up after with a lot of the day rates and stuff like that. That's one of the only things that I've ever seen online that actually gives a detailed analysis of, of freelance roles within broadcasting. So it's perhaps something that the, the industry still needs to work on a little bit is my sort of roundabout answer for that one. Really. <laughs> I mean, that's but, a, it's uh, a really good point because we get asked all the time. We do webinars on kind of finding opportunities and where to find work. Um, and our answer is always kind of, it's a bit of everything. There's lots of different places, you know, using social media, using connections, using newsletters, using job websites. Um, I mean, Sarah, kind of where, where do you find those opportunities? Where do you look? Where has been kind of a fruitful source of freelance work for you? Uh, well, I mean, like you say, it's a bit of everything. It's, well, when I first did get to the UK this time around, because after playing netball here, I went home, I did my study and then I come back to the UK and my natural network is just almost non-existent. So how do you get to where you want to go, but not really knowing anyone? Because a lot of the time you need to know people. So it can start off by cold calling. Um, you know, there might be, you might be reading a newspaper and you read an incredible article from Ollie Brown, for example, who's an amazing sports writer for the Telegraph. And I might say, I would really like to meet him and get to know him. Maybe he could be my mentor. And you might send him an email and meet him for a coffee. You know, you pay for the coffee. He might introduce you to people. I think it's really important if you want to be a, a strong freelance sports journalist or any kind of journalist, you need to do the networking, get to know people, meet them for coffee. Um, that, that's one avenue. And one, another avenue that I've had a lot of success through, which isn't necessarily what you would all think <laughs> would be a, a 
we first think of, I suppose, as a Facebook group. There's a Facebook group called People Who Know People Who Know People in TV. I'm not sure, Sam, if you know of that one, but I've got quite a lot of my work through that. And it's work that I've got covering live sport. Um, it, it's not just the sport, it's the whole industry. You know, there'll be jobs posted from BBC and things like that. Me personally, I really wanted to work for BBC Sport as a broadcast journalist. So I tracked down that contact and I made sure I know how, how I would be able to apply. And, you know, when I'm in a job, I, I network in the room as well. You know, who else has worked where I'd like to work? Because a lot of the time you get in a job and you work with other freelance sort of producers or reporters or presenters. And Bev worked in other places too. And sometimes they might give you a contact or an email address and, you, and it works both ways. So it can be overwhelming when you don't necessarily know how to apply for a job or where to find the opportunities. You just have to hunt them down. Nobody in this industry is going to come to you and give you um, something on a silver platter. You have to go out there and get it. You have to go out and be a bulldog. Um, and, but if you're a good journalist, that's what you'll do anyway, because just your story finding, isn't it? So if you're good at finding a good story, you'll be able to network and, and track down the next opportunity for yourself. I worked on the Claire Balding show, actually. Um, I got an opportunity there and I got that opportunity through that Facebook group. And obviously I knew Claire Balding and um, I was in BT Sport and I had a chat to Claire and I said, look, Claire, I really love what you're doing. I'd really like to be doing what you'd like to be, what you're doing now. And she said, look, here's an email address, email her and go see what we can do. So she gave me an email address. Um, oh my goodness. I've forgotten the name. Themixzone.co.com. <laughs> 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 it's a it's female um a sports journalism website and I, she's another sports journalist. I got in contact with her and then I was able to write some stories for her. And, and that was for me just to get some runs on the board. And even if you go out there and write stories or you might be really passionate about something or you, you, you meet a really cool athlete, even in doing that story, you'll meet other people in that sport and your network will just get bigger and you just never know where the next opportunity will come from. You just have to build your passion, your network and have a sight of where you'd like to go. So, or the other avenue is go on to Sky Sports, go on to work for Sky and, and apply for jobs coldly. That's the other option too. So I have done a lot of that. Um, I've done a lot of networking. I have, you know, and it's just constantly applying for things. So I would have to say that it is all about the hustle in that regard. You are creating opportunities for yourself. And if you, you know, and if people like having you around and you do a good job, chances are you'll get asked back or you'll get referred on yeah definitely I think that referral is something that we see quite a lot um even in our own Facebook group actually people sort of referring different people if they can't do work themselves that they, they often like to recommend someone else I wonder Sam um just coming back to you obviously when you first graduated um you um, did a lot of freelancing in the beginning and I just wondered how did you get your foot in the door how did you get your very first freelance job uh, the first freelance job actually came through contacting someone on Twitter um, that I'd seen on match of the day doing a feature who it seems weird talking about him like that now because he's actually become since then one of my best mates uh, been on numerous holidays together and everything like that but at the time he had, he had about a thousand followers. It was around about the time that Twitter was starting to, to get a bit of headway and stuff like that. And I'd seen him the day before doing a feature on Match of the Day. 
And I got in contact with him. I, said, I think I was second year uni, perhaps third year uni. And I said, look, really enjoyed your features. He was one of those where it was just easy to direct message them at the time. And I just said, I wondered if you wouldn't mind having a look at my CV. I was based in, in Sheffield, obviously, whilst I was at uni. Lo and behold, he was in Sheffield whilst his, his girlfriend at the time was playing a, a tennis tournament the Hallamshire Tennis Club and we ended up going for a for a drink and that was my stroke of luck really that afternoon and everyone talks about the stroke of luck but at the end of the day you do have to make it and that simply wouldn't have happened you know the bit of self-congratulations for that bit is that, that that simply wouldn't have happened had I have not reached out to him in the first place and whether it's the like the Facebook group that, that Sarah mentioned before you know it's, it's just so important that you get involved one way or the other in meeting the people and then it's up to you if you've got that opportunity I remember that for me was like you know, your cliched cup final, going to meet him for a, for a pint, because that was my chance to sort of sell myself. And I didn't know which way it was going to go. Um, and I also happened to get on with him really well. And from then, he was working for Fox Sports and a, a freelance assistant producer role came up, which just involved me essentially going to a, a Premier League match and, and writing a couple of scripts for um, the commentators, a couple of intros and stuff like that. And then from then on, it, it sort of it sort of spun, you know, and, and from then I sort of never looked back in one sense. So, I mean, that was the big thing, you know, you're going from essentially a second year university student to meeting someone in the industry, getting close to them, becoming actually quite friendly with them anyway, because you've got a lot in common because you're, you're, you've got the same goal, you've got the same interests. And then it sort of goes from there really. So that's how I got my foot in, uh, in the door in the first place, I think. Yeah. It's a really good answer because like, it just shows that being proactive really works and just kind of chatting and putting yourself out there. Cause we, you know, we say this all the time to kind of students and people who ask us, it's really nice to kind of have someone explain how that worked for them, how it worked. Yeah. I, I mean, let's, sorry, Sam, you were saying. No, I was just going to say, I mean, I mean, I mentioned the, the direct messaging there. I think even, I mean, this was going back sort of probably eight years ago now. And then I mean, even now more than ever, there's a better opportunity to direct message people both on LinkedIn, Facebook mm -hmm. and Twitter now. So th this is something that is ongoing. There's, it's not just like I was able to do it at a time where he only had 1000 followers or something like that. You know, this is at a time where we can all do this. There's almost no excuses that in some way, shape or form, you can't get in touch with the main person. You know, there was a time probably, it was a bit before my time in terms of getting into the industry, but there was probably a time about 15 years ago where, you know, you are just writing an email and hope that someone sees it, it gets lost and that's it. You know, now, in one sense, there are no excuses, even if you've got to do your full-time job. And I, I totally understand that some people have more opportunities than others. But even if you've got to do your full-time job, wherever it is, your nine to five to earn that money, to pay your rent, whatever, there's nothing to say that at nine o'clock at night, you can't just go out there and direct message someone, check out who is the production manager, who is the, the head of content, who is the, you know, the, the, the head of features or whatever. There's nothing to say that you can't get in contact with them. Then it's up to you. If you've got their attention, people love new ideas. People love to hear suggestions that will make their own product better. And then it's up to you then. And then you've got to go down the right angle of getting your right pitch sorted, whether it's writing or getting your right you know, selling yourself in one sense. So there are no, basically what I'm trying to say is there are essentially in one sense, no excuses that you can't give yourself the opportunity to at least get in. I mean, here's the thing, Sam, that is a really, really positive answer. And now I'm going to bring everybody down, <laughs> bring the mood right down by asking about 
how you fared during COVID-19 because obviously sports journalism is one of those sectors that got hit so hard by the pandemic and um, I mean Sarah can you talk us through what that meant for you and your work? Oh absolutely I mean look I mean Sam basically hit the nail on the head you know if you want an opportunity find out who the executive producer is find out anyone that works there you know just go and contact and network them and in saying that even though I was a netballer and actually my brother played professional rugby and I have done some football, I've really wanted to get into motorsport and, you know, any opportunity to get into it. And I finally got to where I wanted to, you know, get an opportunity. And I had been booked to work on the W series, the women's motor racing series for this season. And it was funny because I had like my last interview just in March, just before this whole, you know, new, new thing of the coronavirus hit. And I had also lined up some work with IMG, doing a, quite a bit of their sort of live sports content too. And then COVID hit. And within 24 hours, me and probably a lot of other sports journalists I knew that I spoke to not long after, everybody lost their work very quickly and very overnight. So it was a time that as a freelancer, yeah, not great at all. But I suppose I feel like now that we're getting to hopefully what is the end of coronavirus, <laughs> the COVID and the lockdown and, and all the rest of it, 2020, is that the industry actually has learned to adapt. Because I'm also on another podcast series and instead of meeting and doing it together, we've started doing them remotely like we are now. Um, I'm now also working on a car series and, you know, which, where, you know, motoring journalism comes in handy and you have to write scripts and things too we're doing this remotely and so we're you know we've got a production team and we're putting it all together working remotely so there has been some good things come out of it in terms of it can maybe build your opportunities where you don't have to literally be based in the same city where you're working um but it, covid did face a lot of it did i guess bring a lot of challenges for me personally because i wasn't working full time but then i guess it does give you an opportunity to work on your skills uh, you know, and I had often thought about doing some commentary and things like that. So I did a bit of skill building, but it, unfortunately, <laughs> it all came and took us by surprise. So that was my experience. But thankfully, it, it, but even football, I mean, all, everything stopped, didn't it? Football, motorsport, and thankfully those elite sports are still going ahead now. And... Um, yeah, yeah so, I mean, Sam, what's it been like um, covering football? I mean, am I right in thinking that it that you managed to still find work, but it was about how you were working during? Yeah, I, I was really, really lucky. I mean, I had a, I had freelance. I had look, there was work that I lost out on as well, like a lot of people. But in terms of my my bread and butter work at the time, it probably only stopped for around about a month, and I had a little bit of savings that I was just going to go on holiday with. During, during the off-season of football anyway, like a lot of sort of football journalists and stuff do. Um, so I was very lucky to almost get straight back into it via Zoom in terms of interviews and press conferences, really. So, it, I mean, I, I completely understand just how difficult it would, it's been for a lot of freelance journalists and a lot of um, freelance sports journalists as well. I, I can't even put myself into that bracket simply down to luck and the way that football was able to almost come back uh, Quick, quicker really than the most of the sports in one sense with the way that the, the Premier League has ran and everything like that. So, so from that point of view, I, I think you know I had a lot of colleagues that that have been very unlucky with regards to 
working in the technical aspect of things. You know, we're doing a lot. We did a lot of Zoom for three or four months. We still are now. And that's meant that cameramen are, are less required in one sense. That's been difficult to see from, from a colleague perspective, you know, seeing a lot of cameramen um, struggle for work in one sense. Clubs have been using club cameramen. They've been using one person to film press conferences and, and, and rightly so because it's the safest thing to do. But then, of course, there are other people that have missed out because of that. That's just the way it's fallen. And, and that's that's the way it is at the moment. Um, but I mean, in terms of opportunities, just to sort of summarize it from my point of view, I think going back to what Sarah says as well it has changed it a little bit. There are a few more different opportunities, certainly from my point of view. I won't speak on behalf of the, the cameramen of this world and the technical point of view, but I mean, for me, I've been able to do shows from home. I mean, I, I now present a show from the, the club that I support, Lincoln City. I never thought that I'd be presenting a show for Lincoln City from, from Liverpool, for instance, where I did it for quite a lot of the time where I was based in the Northwest because I was never really able to... To, to come back and present a show for Lincoln due to the way that my work fell. But now, you know, sometimes you are able to, 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 to fit things in in different ways or shape or form because simply you don't have to leave your own home and you're still able to do um, a good production and do it justice, you know. So, so there are opportunities that have, that have come out this personally for me. I think there are opportunities that have come out for a lot of people that has involved working from home because you're not having to travel hundreds and hundreds of miles to go and do a voiceover or something like that. You know, my voiceover work, a lot of it has been able to be done from home as well. The same for others. So it's, it's an oxymoron almost of there's less opportunities at some point, And then there's actually more opportunities to be able to be done from home, which we maybe never thought would be possible within broadcasting. So I'm still trying to get my head around it as to whether it's a good thing or a bad thing for the industry at the moment. The optimistic side of me would like to think actually we'll come out from this the other side having learned a lot about the industry and the industry will only get better for it. But obviously I think we said that about six months ago, didn't we? And then the, the, the second wave hit and here we are again. So I won't, I won't try and speak too soon, but I'll keep <laughs> the optimistic hat on. Yeah. And I think it's interesting how different sports have been affected in different ways. Um, and obviously you both work in, in slightly different areas. One thing we haven't really touched on, um, which Sarah, I wanted to ask you about, was working as a, a female in sports journalism. Do you find that there are the same opportunities or do you find it still quite a male-dominated industry? I, I think in a traditional sense, uh, it has been a male-dominated industry, yes. And I suppose the way... I guess the world or the attitude of the world is coming along. Women are getting more welcomed, not only into sports journalism, but into many industries. So the world is changing in that regard. But in terms of sport, I won't lie. <laughs> there has been a lot of misogyny around and there is a judgment there sometimes that what would a woman know? How would she know? She's just a girl. But in saying that, there's a lot of very passionate, driven women that know their sport and they know it well and they're very educated, they're passionate about it. You know, there's a, some really good female-led podcasts about football and things like that where, you know, the girls are just great. And at BBC now, BBC Sport, they're, you know, they're showcasing women on the air now. They're making sure they get those female presenters in and female commentators even and they're brilliant they're really really good and it's just about um you know getting their confidence back and getting 
audiences familiar with hearing a female voice. I know that there are, I guess, the older generations that are used to hearing male commentators commentate on a game, things like that. That's more familiar to them because they, I guess they feel it's like it's a man's sport, isn't it? And only a man should be talking about it. Which in some ways, it depends on the audience and depends, I guess, what each broadcaster wants and what the client wants as well. But it has been very different working as a female in the industry. Yeah, I, I will say that some opportunities have been more welcoming than others and that they're, you know, I guess creating change and creating a new normal is something that has come a long way, but I think there still is a little bit to go. Uh, and I think that's ever evolving and it is becoming the new norm that females are very much accepted as part of the sports industry. Yeah, I was going to say, was it James Mitchinson last year, the editor of the Yorkshire Post, who put out, he was an advert for a f- football writer and was it that he'd not had any fee- he'd not had any women apply? Yeah. And so he went on social media to say, you know, women should be applying for this as well, not just the men. I mean, he wasn't saying I only want a woman. He he but he made a point of women should be applying for this and he got so much backlash. Yeah, well, like actually, read if, under the Twitter. Sorry to interrupt, but if I could actually make a comment on that, I, I think you're absolutely right. Because there's young girls out there at the moment that see these male sports presenters. They, I'm not, young girls don't know that that's a job that they can do as well. It's a bit like motorsport and, you know, they see all these men driving cars, you know, around the motor race track and they don't realise that actually that's a sport that they can do as well. And until they start seeing role models, they won't really know that that's a job that they can pursue. And, you know, I, I think it's great. I think the more women that they can see on, the, on, on camera presenting sport, writing about sport and in the industry, they'll start to believe that, hey, that's a job that I never really knew existed, being a woman, and that's something that I can pursue. Yeah, and it's true on our sports journalism course at Sheffield Hallam that we we have some females on the course, but it's really the minority, and we're really aware of that and trying to promote more. But it, like you say, it's, they don't necessarily see themselves as, as that is a job role for them. Um, just kind of moving the conversation on slightly though um, Sam I wanted to come back to you um, and ask about kind of different opportunities and you mentioned earlier that you sometimes refer to um, working in sports media rather than sports journalism and I just wondered about kind of the role that sports clubs now play in terms of sort of hiring their own media or, or journalists sort of teams and is that a potential source of income for freelancers actually working directly for clubs um i have to be honest from, from my from what i've seen probably not from a from a club perspective you know when i worked at liverpool I, it wasn't there weren't a lot of freelancers you know it was it was very much a case of it was people with inter transferable skills I guess so sometimes you would have someone working on if it was a tv channel point of view from the, from the club channel that you'd have sometimes someone working on the audio one day and then working on 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 directing the next day or something so it was those transferable skills that were probably utilized as opposed to a lot of freelancers um, so I would have to say from, from a from an individual club point of view 
not loads from what I've seen. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily discourage people from, from reaching out to clubs. And once again, I think it is going to be really interesting over the next couple of years to see which way clubs go, A, off the back of COVID and B, with a more content-driven perspective. You know, I, obviously I worked for Liverpool and Liverpool really have been one of the driving forces in terms of actually creating entertaining content for football and of course Liverpool fans and I think clubs are, are seeing a value in that now if they didn't already I know clubs like Liverpool Manchester United Chelsea Spurs etc have probably seen that for a good few years but I think a lot of football clubs Premier League and Championship clubs as well I mentioned Lincoln City who I'm who I'm doing a little bit of freelance work for as well you know they're, they're a League One club they saw the value in investing a little bit of money into putting together a pre-match show we're able to do this now remotely. And that again, you know, you can buy a green screen. I'm not trying to simplify it too much, but you can, you can buy a green screen off Amazon for 35, 40 quid. You can buy a 1080p Sony capture camera that, that plugs into your, to your, um, to your computer and your webcam to live stream in HD. You can buy one of those for about 180 quid. You know, I know 180 quid, all right, it's not, it's not 30 quid, but it, it's probably a freelance day rate. Are you willing to put that aside as opposed to, you know, your couple of nights out or something to make that investment? If you are, then you're on the right tracks. So going back to that and the question you sort of asked, in one sense, I haven't seen a lot so far. My gut feeling is with the way that content is going just overall, whether it's betting websites, whether it's media websites overall, and I'm not just talking about your BBCs and your, 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 your SkySports.coms, I'm talking about your Bleacher Reports, your Give Me Sports, you know, your big websites, your big sporting websites that are out there that are wanting to do video content, wanting to do more feature-based content, the athletic. These are hiring freelancers, you know, so clubs, from what I've seen so far, maybe maybe not too much. Again, gut feeling is that's going to change a little bit now and people are going to see the value in. Because remember, when, when, when we're getting paid as freelancers, I mean, a lot of that incorporates your travel, your food, your equipment. Well, let's say your equipment is almost already looked after from a home perspective. Well, you're not traveling anywhere and you're, not, and you're making your own food at home. So as human beings, unless we're greedy, we're allowed to you know, we can probably not quote as much as what we would have to do if I was going to, to, I don't know, Paris to host an event or London to go and do some football work or something. I'm doing that from home now, so I can quote less. And, it, and they're happy because they're not paying as much, but I'm happy because I'm not spending as much. And from that, everyone's almost happy. So that, that's the way I've seen it over the last couple of months. And that's the way, in my opinion, I see it going now over the next couple of years. And again, that just breeds opportunity for people, I think. Yeah, I mean, you've both kind of described having lots of different, you know, types of work and variation in what you're doing. I mean, that's very much kind of, you know, what Lily and I do. And I suppose that's how you keep yourself. Um, you know, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. It's fun. It should be fun lots. as well. You know, it should be. That, that's why we're in the that's why we're in the industry. That's why we're not. In, in one sense, doing, you know, your nine to five office based work because we, we want to be going out and, and when it's possible, going out and meeting new people and, and doing one thing, you know, doing in my, in my way, doing a voiceover shift on one day and then maybe doing a written thing the other. Then 
you know, producing something somewhere else. I'm sure Sarah agrees. You know, it's one of those where that's why we're in the industry. We like the variety of it as well. It's a challenge, but it keeps it interesting. And that's how, in my opinion, that's how life should be anyway, really. So. And it's interesting though, you said about rates um, and, you know, things changing and, and being able to save more money because that's a very nice segue actually into our um, new section of the podcast, which is our listener dilemma of the week. So this is where we put a question to our guests and try and fix a problem from one of our listeners. And I think this week we've got one from our Facebook community, haven't we, Emma? Yeah, we have. So Al Booth asked us, how do you know the fee to give when different publications ask? Do I work it out myself and just have those fees as standard, take it or leave it? Or do I ask and negotiate when they've given a fee? So um, Lily, you start with your advice on this one. Yeah, I mean, I think like we've been saying with everything, um, it, it just depends. Um, you know, there's lots of different types of work and there'll be different ways around it. Sometimes you might be asked what your fee is and other times you'll be, you'll be given a fee. Um, I think there's never any harm in asking for more money. And I've certainly learned over the years where to negotiate um, and when particularly kind of printed publications when they are kind of taking the mickey a bit and you can push back um so on that side of things from in terms of you know when you're offered a fee i would say always always try and negotiate and have in mind kind of what you're willing to work for but kind of don't be afraid to, to push for more yeah i mean there are you know, resources out there on the NUJ has a list. We'll put all these in the show notes. Journal resources have a list. Um, there's a freelance pay gap initiative where they've kind of collected recent rates from lots of freelancers. So you can kind of find out, because I hate that question of, you know, how, what's your rate? How much do you charge? Because it's like, oh, I'm always going to get this wrong. I'm always going to try and aim high, but then they come back too quick and you think, oh, I could have got more. Um, but yeah, it, there are those guides out there that can tell you if you're in the right ballpark and what others have got been have been paid for doing the same work. And Sarah, what's what's your advice on this question? I tend to agree. I mean, I get that question in the email and it says, what's your rate? Could you just let us know what your rate is, please? And it comes with a whole lot of different anxieties. Did you think, well, I know what I'd like to be paid. I know what I deserve. And I also don't want to, you know, overrate myself or so I don't get the jobs because you know about 50 other people have applied for the job and you want to be able to make sure that you come within their budget and that you make sure that you're the one that gets the job so sometimes I think well if I don't it's, it's I mean you've obviously had the experience where you know what you want to say you know what you know they'll take you for so a lot of the time I say well what about this but is that within your budget or or is there is does this amount work with your budget or a lot of the time you just have to negotiate so and if it's between you and someone else a lot of the time you think maybe they will go for the person that's less expensive you don't know but it is a question that all of us do I guess answer with a little bit of anxiety or not quite sure where to go with it but I think you can go from, I think there are standards out there of, of pay for certain roles. And I think that you can use that as a starting point. So you can always go down. You can't necessarily go up once you've said what you want. Yeah, some of so you found that, that there are kind of day rates 
because I in a lot of work I do if I'm doing a shift or a feature there's kind of quite a standard rate within the sector that I work in and not that much room for maneuver always and have you found that Sam? Yeah I think from a broadcasting point of view it's it's almost a little bit different to say I think if I've ever if I've ever quoted I've just taken into account um, just time time and effort spent on it really and 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 maybe how important or, or which way I see the actual feature I'm doing, where it's going to go, but mainly time and effort. I mean, I'm certainly not one to. I think anxiety is a really a really good point on something like that because when I said before that we go into the industry to to have fun and to meet different people and to do really interesting things, I think most of us d- don't go into this industry to start quoting numbers to people. It's just a, a frustrating byproduct, really, of 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 the role. Um, but you have to be, I think you have to be fair on yourself first and foremost. Um, I think if you go into it with a little bit of confidence and you can justify what you're, um, what you're quoting in one sense, you know, you know that whatever you're going to say to that person and you have to judge, I mean, you have to judge the the person you're quoting to sometimes, you know, I've quoted smaller companies, something, because I know that they're just, they're not going to be able to do something else like that. So you're then taking that into account and thinking, well, okay, their budget isn't, isn't massive. So I'm not going to be able to spend a week on this project. So I'll be quoting a little bit less. I'm willing to do that because a it's work and b it's something I'll enjoy doing. So I think you have to be mindful of whoever you're quoting. And you also have to be conscious of the work that you're going to be putting in and the time that you're putting into it. So um, that, that would be my sort of roundabout answer with that. It's difficult. You have to tell yourself that whatever you're quoting is, it needs to be fair. I think probably if I look back to when I maybe first started, I was probably happier to go with, with, with being underpaid and not question it. And then I think it's just a fact of life, isn't it? That as you get older, you get wiser to it and you feel like you have a little bit more self-worth with the experience that you know. You just, you find that you can justify what you quote if you think it's, if you think it's fair. So it's about being fair to yourself, really, I think is the, uh, the, the, main, the main point. Yeah, and I think that's a really nice um, way to finish off, really, but be fair to yourself um, and know your worth. So we're going to bring this episode to a close now. Thank you very much to both Sam and Sarah for your excellent advice today. And it's been really interesting to get your insight into sports journalism. Yeah, if you want to know more about us, then head to freelancingforjournalists.com or you can follow us on Twitter where we are at freelancing for. You can also follow us individually. I'm at Lily Cantor. And I'm at Emma Journo. And don't forget to join our Freelancing for Journalists Facebook community where you can find lots more tips and advice. And if you appreciate this podcast or you found it useful, you can always buy us a virtual cuppa to say thank you. Our coffee pages are pinned tweet. Yeah, and we're getting lots of new listeners all the time from all over the world. But what is really useful is if you could like, rate and subscribe to the podcast and even better if you could leave us a review. Um, Once again, a big thanks to our producer, Richard Wilson, who sorts out any edits for us. Yeah, so that's it for this week. But next week, we'll be talking about the importance of diversity in journalism. But goodbye for now. Bye.